Welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. Cynthia Loren here with you today. I'm pleased to share with you a conversation I had with Latanya Langley, Chief Legal Officer and Corporate Secretary at Edgewell Personal Care. In this interview, Latanya and I talk about her career and her experiences as a Black female legal leader in the US. From her early days working in a firm to her role as General Counsel at BIC to her current position at Edgewell, Latanya shares how she's embraced her differences during her career and how she's working to empower other women and black professionals to do likewise. I came away from this conversation feeling truly energized, inspired and challenged, and I know you'll feel exactly the same. So as always, sit back, relax and happy listening. Hello, welcome. Could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Hello, thank you. Uh, so my name is Latanya Langley, and I serve as the Chief Legal Officer and Corporate Secretary of Edgewell Personal Care Company. It's a leading pure play consumer products company with an attractive, diversified portfolio of brand names in the wet shave industry, sun care, and skin care, as well as feminine care. Um, I'm based in the greater New York area, and uh, I'm responsible for leading Edgewell's legal matters, including overseeing the company's litigation and disputes, intellectual property, contracts, compliance, and providing legal counsel related to all regulatory sales and marketing matters. Wow, that sounds like a really full-on role, Latanya. So when I initially met you a couple of years ago, you were at BIC, right? Yes, yes. Um, And so when did you join Edgewell? How long have you been there? I joined Edgewell a little over a year ago. I'm a fan. I follow you on LinkedIn and I see all the the, the great things that you're up to. I'd love to kind of get you to talk to our audience a little bit about um, the early stages of your career. So what attracted you to the law um, and what eventually took you in-house? Uh, thank you, and, and Cynthia, I'm also a fan of yours, uh, so I was very, very happy to be a part of, of this discussion with you. Uh, I admire you for the great work that you do in the various global markets. Um, so my career, it's funny, I always knew that I wanted to be a lawyer. I was one of those kids that just proclaimed it and knew it from, you know, as, as soon as I can talk. Uh, my parents tell me I used to play court with my dolls. Uh, I used to have Ken and Barbie and, and Ken would always go to jail <laughs> and I'm advocating for Barbie. Um, they said I was obsessed with court shows uh, on television. I would just sit there for hours and just watch court. And, and I told my parents I was going to be a lawyer. Um, and I think it was wow. something about advocacy you know, common sense, debate, analytical thinking, being able to express my opinion and my point of view. And I had that Mm -hmm. from a very early age. Um, And I remember in high school, I had gone to my principal and asked him uh, to get me a job in a law firm. I said, I want to be a lawyer. I want to be around lawyers. And he called 
some of his law firm friends and asked them to create a role for this talented young high school student that he had. And um, my first job was in a law firm. (laughs) I was a file clerk, but um, again, getting that exposure and that access and being around the people that I uh, had admired and wanted to be one day was probably the greatest gift that was ever given to me as a student. That's amazing. How old were you when that actually happened? I was a senior in high school. I'll never forget. I went, I had to interview for this file clerk role. um, And I had a partner at the firm that invested in me and gave me these opportunities. And he had me working in a room and doing filing. And he would invite me to meetings so that I could see him in action. And it was just, it was an amazing experience. I guess they they took a risk. They said either she's going to love this or she's going to hate this, but she'll know if she still wants to be a lawyer after this experience. What a fantastic opportunity. So I know um, when you finished your you know legal education, you then went into private practice to start with. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, and- I started at uh, New York, uh, big law firms. Uh, they call them, you know, big law. And I, yeah. I did those uh, firms for about eight years uh, before I, I, I took the leap in-house. What pushed you to take the leap in-house? How did that come about? Uh, it's interesting. I was on the usual partnership track that you're told is the route you take uh, to be a lawyer. You go to law firms, you practice and you die. You know, that was sort of the <laughs> that was sort of the path that we all thought was the proper path. And, you know, I was up for partner and I remember that there was a a general counsel. She was actually a black woman, um, Kelly Walker, who had come to Connecticut as the head of legal for Diageo. And I had requested a pitch. I wanted to go and I wanted to get Diageo's business. You know, this was going to be the big client that I was going to bring into the firm. And in this interview with Kelly, she mentored me in that interview and explained to me the other options that were out there other than being a partner and practicing in law firms. And she explained to me the Mm -hmm. benefits of in-house versus partnership and told me I should actually consider that opportunity. And in fact, she pitched me in my pitch and and asked me what I'd be interested in joining a Diageo. And of course, I I said, no, 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 you know, I'm up for partner, you know, but thank you. I appreciate it. I'm going to go back to being, you know, an an associate. I'm up for partner this year. And then I'll never forget the the firm actually asked me to defer for a year, the partnership that I had worked so hard for. And uh, it was at that moment that I picked up the phone and I, I called Kelly and said, you know what? I, I think I, w- I want to try this opportunity that you've mentioned to me. And the rest is history. I, I joined Diageo and I was there for almost eight years. And um, I was moved, you know, by the purpose, the culture and the values of Diageo. And I felt like the purpose and values went hand in hand with performance. And that's what attracted me to, to going in-house. And it was, it was the right move for me. Clearly, given all the moves since then. But before we talk about those, tell me a little bit about the opportunities and challenges that Kelly had highlighted to you about being in-house. And and has that been borne out in your experience? Yes. So 
One of the things that I remember clearly about working in law firms is I felt like there was a strong emphasis on hours and production and just working. You know, I I, I would go in at 7 a.m. My days wouldn't end till 2 a.m. And it was like that all year round. And it was just this mm-hmm. constant grind. And frankly, because the firms were so large, I felt like I was a number among the other hundreds of associates that I worked with. The joy of individual and personal connections and relationships was just not a priority at law firms. Whereas in-house, I felt that purpose and culture and values was more of the focus in addition to performance. So some of the opportunities that Kelly laid out for me for working in-house and that I've learned over the years is having a close relationship with the business. You know, you're working closely with business teams. You have an opportunity to gain a deep understanding of a company's operations. You can provide legal advice that's tailored to the company's specific business needs. Additionally, you get a broad range of legal work. You know, you can work amongst a variety of legal issues ranging from commercial contracts to employment law to regulatory compliance and litigation. Um, there's this strategic involvement that you get as an in-house counsel where you can provide guidance on major business decisions and you're helping to shape the company's overall strategy. And then, of course, there's work-life balance uh, if that exists, Mm -hmm. right? You know, the hours are more predictable. You have a better um, balance, you know, compared to law firm life. Now, some of the challenges of working in-house Uh, you know, you have limited resources, right? Um, And this can be very challenging because you manage a huge volume of and complexity of legal issues and work that arise in large organizations. And you don't have the same resources that you would have had you worked in a law firm. Additionally, you manage to competing priorities. You have to balance the business need versus legal requirements. And many times that can create attention and compete, you know, competing priorities. No, no, no. I'm listening. Continue. Oh, continue. <laughs> also, you know, there's there's a limited outside perspective. So, you know, when you're in-house, you, you may be more narrowly focused on a co- company's specific legal needs. And so you may have a limited exposure to like the broader legal, legal landscape and you know industry best practices, which is why it's very, very important to make sure you're staying up to speed on continuing legal education and hot topics. Um, and then lastly, I think there's a lot more risk management that you have to manage to when you're in-house. You know, when you are managing legal risk for a company, that's high pressure and it's high stakes. I love the fact that you've sort of differentiated between purpose and performance. So for you, you know, being in-house, it would be great to hear from you something that outside counsel has done that really stood out, you know, in, in all the years that you've been using them. You don't have to name them unless you want to, um, but it would be great to just have some, you know, some really positive experiences of, of working and partnering with your outside counsel. Yeah, I mean... My outside counsel, they've they've done so many things um, that I think are, are amazing examples of partnership. But I think the one that stands out to me the most is, you know, during the pandemic, 
you know, and in response to the aftermath of the deaths of several members of the Black community during the pandemic and also through the pervasive threat of police violence, um, you know, during the time of, of, of George Floyd, you know, we noticed that a lot of firms were uh, reducing the number of lawyers that they were hiring. Uh, or they were shutting down their summer associate programs. And of course, um, the group that was impacted the most, I found, were the Black lawyers uh, that were coming up. And so I had created, I remember sitting in my living room thinking, like, what can I do to help these Black students? And they weren't even students. They were like, you know, third year law students ready for a job and their jobs were reneged on. And so um, I created this program that was focused on supporting the diversity pipeline and increasing the number of Black lawyers entering into the legal profession. And so what I did is I contacted a number of my outside counsel and said, listen, I have some very, very talented third year, second year law students that had summer associate positions that are qualified and they don't have a job. And so I'm asking you to provide an opportunity for these students, provide some training, exposure uh, to your firms, give them assignments and, and allow them to work for you. Um, not only did I approach law firms, but I also approached other corporations, uh, their legal departments and said, this is our dilemma. And I need your help in making meaningful steps to, towards promoting uh, diversity uh, and jobs for Black students. And the response from my outside counsel, my firms, was overwhelming. Uh, over 50 firms uh, and corporations participated in this program, and it resulted in jobs for our young Black lawyers. And to me, that went beyond just advising and, and billing us for work. They actually showed that they were committed to uh, providing opportunities to our lawyers, our Black lawyers, during a very difficult time. I'll never forget that. That's so great to hear. I mean, that's such a, a fantastic um, just experience. And, and by the way, I, I partnered with the National Bar Association Commercial Law Section on that. Uh, so I wanted yeah. to make sure that I, I, I mentioned them as well. Awesome. I know that you are, you know, very focused on mentoring and supporting young lawyers and you talk a lot about um, taking up space. It would be great to hear from you what that means. You know, what is the importance of taking up space? What does it mean in the context of being black and female in the legal industry? You know, throughout my career, I was always told, especially in my younger years, that I was too ambitious try to blend in, you know, and just stay in your lane. It was sort of the message that I received as a young lawyer. Uh, I, I, I was essentially told to dim my light and try to blend in. And I think that the message to women at that time was, you know, if you want to be a leader, you know, you can sit here, uh, but don't expect to be at the head of the table, you know, and even for women who have approached their peak, there was still that pit and if you were a woman and you did the exact same thing as men in similar positions, you were unfairly seen as overly ambitious or self-serving. Um, and so once I realized that there was this sort of unfair advantage, 
I began to start taking risks um, and trying opportunities that were not traditionally held by women. I began to take up space um, in that I took a journey that others were either afraid to or weren't willing to take. And this is what helped my journey to accelerate. Um, so I took on roles and opportunities um, that maybe I didn't check all the boxes. You know, I became an expert in a space that was not typically the road frequently traveled. You know, I took on roles um, that were scary, you know, to some, including, you know, working in, I worked uh, in, in Africa. I lived and, and worked in Africa. Um, I took on an emerging markets role where I, I had Latin America, the Middle East, uh, India, you know, other parts of Asia under my remit. And in those roles, I realized that, you know, my differences and taking on these different opportunities were actually my strengths. Um, and I discovered that I had these, what some people call superpowers, because I, I got out of my comfort zone. And I realized that the skills and talents and gifts that I was born with were mine. Um, and I, was, I needed to make sure that I showed up with those gifts and talents every time I entered the room because I knew restraints were always going to be there. But I knew that with those restraints, I had to take certain approaches so that I could lead effectively. Um, and that included being an authentic leader. So for me, it was, you know, understanding what my differences are and how those differences are my strengths. And when I walk into a room, ensure that I am taking up space with those gifts every opportunity that I had. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's interesting to me, Latanya, that you you said at the time. So from your perspective, do you now feel that things have changed? And I asked that particularly in the context of a recent report that was published by Russell Reynolds, where they said, you know, for the first time ever, women GCs have overtaken male GCs in, in, in Fortune 500 organizations. So have we, you know, has it all changed now? Oh. Or is it still... Similar, oh, so first of all, I want to just take a moment to just exhale because the report, I think, was very exciting to read. Right now, women hold just over a quarter of general counsel positions amongst the Fortune 500s. But when viewed together with other C-suite roles, there still is underrepresentation of females in top legal positions. And so it's still a, a part of a, a broader issue. Um, and I will say that this report is a testament to the great success that women lawyers have had is in senior in-house roles. You know, it shows that we created, um, so Cynthia Dow made a statement that, you know, now there's, you know, a deep pool of talented female attorneys who are available to be recruited for Fortune 500 roles. So we've put in so much effort, you know, lawyers, women, you know, executives to ensure that there's this pool, right? Um, and to Cynthia Dow's point, uh, who's at Russell Reynolds, you know, there this is definitely a reflection of the commitment of mentorship, sponsorship, um, and 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 just this commitment to having a diverse slate of candidates. So yes. Is this a great thing? Is this something exciting to be celebrated? Yes. However, gender diversity in C-suites uh, and on executive teams still remain poor. 
And so we still have a lot of work to do. Um, organizations still have to do a better job to ensure that women are in the executive leadership roles. And when they get in those roles, ensure that there's a sense of belonging um, and that their contribution is valued. Um, so no, we still got a lot of work to do. <laughs> I absolutely agree. And I think, you know, just thinking about females, young females going in-house right now, um, or even actually into private practice, what what would you say to them in terms of taking up space? So, you know, to coin a Hamilton phrase, how do you even get in the room where it happens? Like, you know, in order, you've got to be in the room before you take up space, right? So how do you even get there? I mean, I think the number one thing that our young female lawyers need to focus on is honing in on their skills. You have to master your craft. You know, you have to focus on what are the fundamentals of being a lawyer? My analytical skills, my writing, my negotiations, you know, my advocacy. Am I strengthening and working on those skills every single day? And then once you've mastered the skills, then you also need to ensure that you're building mentoring, sponsorships, networking, all of those things are important because that's going to help you get into the room. Someone has to invite you into the room. And so building relationships, um, making connections, you know, um, collaborating and helping others, that's what's going to get you in the room. And then once you're in the room, even if you're in the back of the room, you have to ensure that you own it. You belong there. And, and while you're there, make sure that you provide your value. Make sure that, you know, you're being seen and you're being heard. And it doesn't matter if you're at the head of the table or if you're in the back of the room. You have to own it. You have to own the fact that you belong in the room. Absolutely love that. So you're now at Edgewell. You've been there over a year, um, owning, taking up space, you know, in a great leadership position. Tell me about some of the challenges that you're facing now that maybe weren't considerations a year or even two years ago? And, and how are you navigating these? Prior to joining Edgewell, I worked at uh, Diageo, a large, the world's largest alcohol beverage company in BIC. And both organizations provided me opportunities to live and work abroad, especially in emerging markets, which is a passion of mine. Uh, I had the opportunity to work with people from various cultures, religions, and I traveled to some uncharted territories practicing law in high-risk markets. As a woman serving in these markets, there were many, many challenges that I had to manage through. I experienced hostility in a fraternity culture. I faced explicit and implicit bias on a daily basis. As a woman, especially a woman of color, I knew how to manage the situation, uh, but I knew that my mere presence was being policed and tempered because it was a dominant culture. So confronting challenges in these markets and finding bold solutions is what helped me to cultivate, cultivate courageous leadership and opportunities for other women. Um, so those were some external challenges that I had to manage in those roles. Um, those were the biggest challenges that I think I faced in my career, but those were career determining for me, right? But with all of those challenges, I will tell you my hardest challenge um, that I faced was uh, my health scare. 
there was one, I, I was completely healthy one day and the next day I woke up completely paralyzed. I had completely lost functionality in my body, coordination. I was seeing double. I couldn't walk. I couldn't talk. I literally lost the use of my body. And I had many, many, many tests. I was in the hospital for a month and the doctors could not figure out why I was paralyzed. In fact, my face is still paralyzed today. Um, at the end of the day, you know, I, I, I was told the only solution was to learn how to walk again, learn how to talk again, gain my strength again. Um, but they could never tell me what happened because I was still completely healthy. I will say with that challenge and that experience, it was a time of enlightenment for me. I developed a keen sense of clarity and purpose, both personally and professionally. And I learned the importance of cultivating a strong mind, body, and spirit, right? So leadership also requires mindfulness, you know, being in the present and being present for others. And it took that health scare to really help me remember that you have to full circle, be strong mind, be strong within your body, and also be strong in your spirit. Find balance. We're so pleased to see you healthy, and continuing to be a courageous leader. I know you've had a pretty significant change in your life in terms of becoming a mom. Other than your son, what is keeping you up at night these days? <laughs> yeah, so I have absolutely been blessed to have my firstborn as an older mom. Um, you know, being a mom over 40 is, is, is not easy, but it, it's definitely a miracle and a blessing. And um, I think being becoming a mom um, has helped me to, to understand the world differently and yeah. uh, to really, really appreciate life even more than I had before. And yeah. so, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think what keeps me awake at night, nothing, because <laughs> other than him, uh, I try to find my moments of sleep. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, what I will say is, though, you don't have to follow the path that others set before you. You can create your own path and, and it's never too late. Uh, I remember once I hit my mid forties, I thought maybe being a wife and a mom just wasn't in the cards for me and it all happened. And so yeah. uh, I do want to encourage other women and other leaders that, you know, it's never, it's just never too late uh, to, yeah. to meet one of your personal or professional goals. Yeah. Oh, huge congratulations, Latanya. I'm, you know, personally really thrilled to see you in this new season um, in your life. And, you know, I really do appreciate the fact that you've spent some time with me today. One of the questions that I always love to ask our guests, and I'm going to round up with this, is, you know, what advice would you give 25-year-old Latanya? Oh, wow. Well, frankly, I think Latanya had to go through every single thing that she experienced from her t from 25 until now. She wouldn't be here without going through the highs and the lows confronting those things. Uh, but I will tell her, you know, to be authentically you. As your leadership capabilities grow, you know, don't be afraid to just be yourself. People will love you the person, not who you yeah. are trying to be. Also step outside of your comfort zone. 
experiment with unfamiliar places and, and people and cultures. Um, follow your passions. Move on when it's time. And then, of course, yeah. take up space and own the rooms that you're in. Yeah, take up space. Latanya, thank you so much for being with me today and just for everything that you inspire in me and in others. It's been fantastic to have this conversation with you. Yeah, we wish you all the best as you continue the journey with Edgewell and into the future. So thank you so much for being our guest this afternoon. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, Cynthia. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more, please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.